All the birds I know are like crazy. Hey guys, this week I'm speaking to Tanya Buenas and Nicole Casey about moving internationally with Rapport. Tanya moved from LA to London and Nicole moved from New York to Hong Kong. We're going to be talking about some of the differences they've noticed from a market perspective, a cultural perspective and some pieces of advice that they've picked up along the way. So Tanya, I'll let you go first because I can see you first on my screen. Why don't you tell me a bit about how your move first came about? I was always really interested in international opportunities and I spoke to Mike Cooper about any potential global opportunities, whether that be working on a more global facing account or actually transferring to one of the other offices or spending some time in a different office. And he was really supportive. And when the next U.S. summit came around. He introduced me to Chris Marjoram, who was in town, and we chatted about whether it would be a good fit for me to go to the London office. And then when the right opportunity came up about a year later and it was the right fit, um, I was actually able to make the move over. Oh, well, I'm very glad that you did. So how about you, Nicole? Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, so I would say it was a mixture of like good timing um, and kind of openness to collaboration, if you will. Um, I think I had basically got wind uh, that Rapport was looking to expand its global footprint um, a bit more. Um, And I'd spent some time in China previously, and I kind of was just interested in learning more about uh, kind of that APEC focus. You know, was there an opportunity for me to be a fly on the wall, uh, listening on calls or be on an email? Um, and uh, my manager at the time said that I should speak to Mike and kind of see what what the deal is, what was going on. Um, and again, like Tanya said, a lot of support there. Um, and un- unknowingly, uh, before that, recently before that, uh, Mike had come to the APEC region uh, with Paul Sandbrook, um, kind of just to explain, you know, like what is rapport. I think under like this big umbrella, we kind of we either forget like what other departments exist or kind of we are just not aware of them um so I'd kind of come to the region and say look like this is rapport this is our offering um does this make sense for any of these regions um are you interested and Hong Kong was one of one of the regions that put their hand up um so again I think it's just good timing um really uh I then <laughs> passed through the region um and and met people in the office and I think it was a a good timing of you know we have someone that's interested we have a market that sees a uh, really strong potential in outdoor um and then that person who's interested also knows rapport and has been been with the company so is there a way for that to work together um then I made it to Hong Kong. <laughs> okay, cool. So actually some quite big similarities, despite being quite different stories. Um, I guess you were both quite open to where your next move came from and felt like the support was there and the timings worked out well. So Nicole, from a market perspective, what have some of the major differences that you've noticed been? Yeah, sure. So I think um, one of the first major differences I noticed um, kind of like more internally was that the the buying and planning teams um, are separate. So there's people that plan and they plan ac- across all um, channels um, and the same thing for buying. Uh, so it's really interesting just to see like kind of what that breakdown is. And then when you translate that to like building vendor relationships, um, not only is the buying team kind of the only front facing for uh, p- vendor partners, um, but then within vendor partners, you talk to different people based on category or industry. 
Um, there are some exceptions with certain teams, but like if I reached out for a fashion client versus a CPG client, I'd be talking to the same company, but like two, two completely different people. Um, and in some cases that even differs for price. Um, so there's competitive pricing based on industry, um, based on clients. So that was something um, very different, um, very interesting to, to see. Um, and then, oh, also thinking about vendors for for out-of-home inventory, um, there's also a number of sites that are repped by multiple vendors. So it's like super competitive. Um, like it's really, a really interesting dynamic. So like you're trying to figure out who has the best price. Um, how do you leverage certain relationships? Do you have that, that relationship to, to leverage? That sounds hectic. Um, some similarities to the UK there with the planning and buying teams. So Tanya, how about you? Tell me some of the differences that you've noticed. Very similar to Nicole, um, there are separate planners and buyers in England, which was a bit of an adjustment. And I think that it it was less so like there are planners across all channels and buyers across all chan- channels, but within out of home, there were separate planners, buyers, ops team, marketing and research. So everything, all the rules were very specialized, um, which was interesting. And I think that there's a little bit more that goes into negotiating rates and specific competitive pricing like Nicole mentioned and that's why having a buying team is especially important um, in England in the UK um, in the US planners kind of cover all aspects of the job um, so there's benefits to both um, and then also I've noticed that buying nationally in the UK is very popular but that's not really something that you can do to scale in the US since there are a lot of areas that don't have really strong out-of-home presence and a lot of the times you're buying on a city-by-city level. Um, So being able to buy on a national scale in England, I think, is really strong for the medium. Um, So that's another key difference that I've noticed. Yeah, someone told me this week that you could fit the whole of the UK inside the state of Texas. So pretty different when it comes to size and scale. So, Nicole, you mentioned some of the different ways that media owners work in Hong Kong versus in the States. Tanya, I wonder if you've noticed any major differences in the media owner landscape over here. In the UK, I think it, from a media owner perspective, it's like a little bit more dominated by a few big players. Obviously, in the US, there's also like Outfront and Clear Channel that like probably have the majority of inventory, but it feels like you can really frequently buy from some of the smaller ones and still have really strong plan and presence whereas it's like feels a lot more unavoidable to buy from kind of some of the big players in the UK that's so interesting yeah I feel like yeah in the states you could get away with planning if you had to plan with one major owner you could get away with doing like any type of plan but like there are the nuances where like if you did know the smaller players like you could do a much better plan by like having those relationships and stuff like right like I think yeah you you could get away with it but like that's where we offer our expertise right like that actually you should be talking to the smaller guy that has these great signs yeah so interesting and probably something you don't really think about until you've worked in in two different places okay so changing direction a little bit Tanya tell me about some of the differences that you've noticed from a cultural perspective I think one of the biggest and most obvious ones was just like the slang and jargon. I remember even the first time I hung out with Holly, I was like, I don't know any of the things you said. You're like, that person's so sound. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> at work, like every day, my team would be like saying something that I didn't know what that word was. And 
some of the things you can obviously find out in context, but some of it was actually like really hard to understand. And so there's a learning curve there, which was funny because obviously you wouldn't assume a language barrier in between the UK and the US. Um, And then also I would definitely get made fun of for saying all the US buzzwords like circle back and spearheading and regrouping and reaching out. (laughs) Very famous for those. So that was a bit of a change. And then also I think in general from like a working cultural perspective, from what I've seen, it seems like the US is a little bit more like direct and really engaging and enthusiastic. They kind of have like bigger personalities, it seems, if that makes sense. Um, And the UK is a little bit more reserved and a little bit more low-key and um, I feel like they're really polite. And I don't think the US intends to be not polite, but I think they're just a little bit more direct and and in your face. Um, So that's kind of just a bit of a different way of working. Do you think we're enthusiastic? Holly is so similar to us. I always tell her she reminds me of an American. It's true. And now we only occasionally have language barriers. That's so funny. So Nicole, how about you? What are some of the cultural differences that you've noticed since moving to Hong Kong? So coming from New York, um, I think one of the the biggest, maybe this is like cultural uh, landscape difference is like everything is super, super close in Hong Kong. Like it's, it's a huge city, like 7.4 million people, but it's like a tiny vertical city. So like the way I explained it to people is like, if you had like New York, like the five boroughs sprawling, and then you had like a vacuum bag where you like sucked all the air out and it's just like, from like up vertical like that's Hong Kong um so I think like coming from New York where I lived a bit outside of the city it was always like great fun track to get to the city or like get to work or like meet up with people whereas here it's like you have no excuse it's a super welcoming city and like coming on your own it's everyone's always open to like meeting people and getting to know you like grab a drink um introduce you to friends um and I say that because it's also a super transient city like people are always coming and going so it's like you, you lose your first best friend and then everything after that, you're like, this is life. Um, and it's really great. And I think um, for me, that was something that that was super helpful to get to kind of um, know a group of friends and then kind of expand from there. And then I think like from a work perspective, like coming into a whole new market, like you need to wrap your head around so many different things. But then when you actually look at Hong Kong, like, yes, there's so much to learn. There's so much to see. But because it is such like a compact city, like you're able to I think like wrap your mind around it. Like, yes, I still have a lot more to learn, um, but I've been put, I think, in a place where, where I'm able to do that. It's very humid. <laughs> um, so I'd say that's a big difference. But yeah, I think another big difference for me, I think like coming from a city in New York where a lot of people move to and flock to and they like have their great decades of their life for Hong Kong, kind of going to back to how like congested of a city is. Um, it's also like a super expensive city, especially when you look at real estate. So you have like a whole office that you work with, majority of them are living in like multi-generation homes just because like you're saving on rent. Um, it makes sense to uh, live together. Um, so like a lot of people bring in lunchboxes. So so I think, yeah, uh, one other big difference for me, I think I um, a fault set at my desk uh, for lunch most of the time. Um, here, I'd say they are really great uh, takers of like that full, that full hour lunch. Um, 30 minutes, full hour, depends what you get. Um, but I think, for me, it's really good to see that because like, okay, it is good. Like, yes, everyone has their days that need, they need to work through, but sometimes it's nice to kind of like take a break, uh, be with people. Um, and so it's, it is nice to see that. So some of the differences for me. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thanks for sharing. 
So finally, and Tanya, maybe you can go first, is there a piece of advice that you've been given through your career that you found to be particularly valuable? I used to be um, really involved in Women's Leadership Network back in the LA office. And I think a lot of the things that I got from that were really valuable and helpful. Um, In general, they talked a lot about knowing your value and knowing your worth and keeping your your own career, being accountable for your own career development and making sure that um, in a way you like ask for what you want, make your goals known. I think as you speak your goals aloud, it makes them a bit more concrete and it also makes them known to others. Um, that way, if an opportunity presents itself that fits with what your goal is, people are more likely to bring that um, to your attention. And that's kind of what happened to me with London. I think I spoke about working internationally pretty regularly and that helped it come to fruition. Um, so focusing on continually growing whatever role you're in um, learning and trying to develop that as much as you can is something that I think has been really valuable. Yeah, I've actually had the same advice too. Like you need to stay accountable for your own career because at the end of the day, no one else is going to care as much as you do. Nicole, how about you? Yeah, so I think a piece of very valuable advice uh, that I need to continue to heed myself is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and I heard that actually from someone when I was here and it's, it's just really great for me. Like, yes, personally, like in a new situation, wherever you are, whether you move somewhere, um, but then especially in work, kind of like Tanya had said, like that you're continually developing, pushing yourself and it's coming inherently from you. So I think, yeah, just, just being okay with being uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thanks guys. Thanks so much guys. Thanks Holly. Thanks Halls. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Listen again next week and I'll be chatting to Jeremy Mayles, CEO of Outfront Media.